The upper left corner of the United States is full of stunning scenery. Beautiful mountains, raging rivers, breathtaking valleys, and so much more. But the Pacific Northwest is also known for something more sinister. This beautiful land also seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and others who commit heinous acts. I was born in the Pacific Northwest, and I've had a fascination with true crime since childhood. I'm here to tell you the true crime stories of the PNW. So grab your sweater and a cup of coffee. I'm your host, Emily, and this is The Upper Left Corner. of up and down the creek and up and around the, uh, the camp and he wasn't there that's when I got in my pickup truck and drove down the road to try and get uh, some service But first, let's get our PNW town profile. Lador, Idaho is a small town located in southeastern Lemhi County. The Lemhi River flows through the northeast side of the city, as well as Idaho State Highway 28, which passes through the center of town. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, Lador has a total area of 0.31 square miles, and at the 2010 census, the population was 105. 
The town dates back to 1910 when the Gilmore and Pittsburgh Railroad was constructed and founded when the original plans location of the train station had to be altered because the landowner refused to sell their land. The town was home to the railroad's repair shops and other supplemental businesses. However, the railroad ceased operation in 1939, but Lador has remained the largest town in the immediate area. In 2001, a replica of the town's old railway station was constructed in Lador, which serves as the town's community center. And now on to our story. Dior J. Coons Jr. was born on December 30, 2012 to Jessica Mitchell and her fiancé Vernal Dior Coons Sr. in Idaho Falls, Idaho. The three settled into family life and gave their son the nickname Little Man. Dior grew into a fun-loving and curious toddler, and the parents provided for their family with Vernal's truck-driving career and Jessica as a caregiver for her grandfather. The family enjoyed camping, and on July 9, 2015, Jessica and Vernal, who were living as an engaged couple, decided to take a sudden and unexpected camping trip with the now two-year-old Dior. They brought along Jessica's grandfather, Robert Walton, who lived with the family, and Walton asked if he could invite his friend, Isaac Rainwand, although they had never met each other prior to the trip. They loaded up their pickup, pulling a camping trailer, and made the two-hour trip to the Timber Creek campgrounds near Lador, where they planned to stay for a few nights. The group stopped at the Stage Stop convenience store in Lador for a few things, and then they arrived on the evening of July 9th as it was getting dark and situated their campsite, just enough to settle in for the night. The following morning, it is reported that they made breakfast and further set up their campsite, and they headed into town for a few more supplies. When they came back around noon, Isaac, the grandfather's friend, left to go fishing shortly after they arrived, while Jessica and Vernal continued to set up camp. Once they had accomplished a few of their tasks, they decided to join Isaac near the creek at around 2 p.m. for fishing. So the family of three began walking towards the stream, but Dior made it clear that he wanted to stay with his great-grandpa instead of going fishing. So they walked him back and yelled at Robert to let him know the boy was staying behind. The last thing I want to do is mom shame, so I hope it doesn't come off as that, but I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, and there ain't no way in hell I'm leaving my two-year-old with a man well into his 70s who has an oxygen tank and needs a caregiver himself. I mean, two-year-olds are busy, and I'm an anxious person, so maybe I'm just overprotective, but when camping with my kids, I factor in bodies of water, the campfire, wild animals. That puts me on a higher alert than I am when we're hanging out at home. And this, in fact, is where things go sideways. Robert claims he never heard Jessica ask him to watch the child, and he was unaware that he was responsible for Dior. When Jessica and Vernal returned around 30 minutes later, a panic set in when the boy was nowhere to be seen. Robert would later recount that he saw Dior near the stream, and when he turned around, the boy was gone, and that was the last claimed sighting of Dior. Though this sighting is contradicted by multiple other statements made by Robert, who, in all honesty, seems genuinely confused at all times he has spoken to in the future about this. Jessica was able to get through to 911 at 2.36 p.m., as cell service is spotty at best in that area, while Vernal got in his pickup and drove out of the campsite trying to get service and was able to make contact one and a half miles away at 2.38 p.m. 
Once the call for help was made, an extensive search got underway through the dense pine forests, waterways, and mountain fields surrounding the campground. Search and rescue teams on foot, horseback, and ATVs scoured the area, and using helicopters and drones, they were able to search from the air. And canine units were brought in as well. All of these efforts turned up no trace of Dior. As the police expanded their search areas over the next few days, immediately following the disappearance, they began tracking down leads that were given by the parents in police interviews. They were able to locate a clerk from the convenience store in Lador, which the family claimed they had stopped at before arriving at the campground. Jessica and Vernal sent the police to a specific clerk saying he would remember seeing them, but upon questioning, the clerk said he saw a blonde boy but not at the time of day when the parents claimed to have made the stop. Vernal Coons would go on to claim that the clerk was mistaken. This was when authorities became suspicious. Things just weren't adding up. Immediately, there had been differences in the accounts of the parents, and soon discrepancies became public, as well as the fact that both had declined a polygraph test. Which, in all honesty, I don't know what I would do if I was asked to take a polygraph. I've listened to enough true crime podcasts to hear of occasions of false passes or fails. And my understanding is that it really depends on the person administering the polygraph test as to how accurate it is. And the results are not admitted in court, and there's definitely a reason behind that. So I would have lots of questions before taking one, such as the experience of who was administering it and how the results would be shared. So I don't want to hold the fact that they wouldn't take a polygraph test against them. But at the same time, I don't know, if my child was missing, I'd likely do everything possible to clear myself in order to have one less person who police are using their time and resources on. But as a result of all of this, the public began turning on Jessica and Vernal, who hired a private investigator named Frank Viltz in August of 2015 to help them find their son. Meanwhile, the police were focusing on three theories. One. The boy died in nature, either by drowning in a body of water or met with a wild animal. As investigators said, while they were searching for Dior, they saw bears running through the campgrounds. Two, a stranger abduction. Or three, one of the four adults on the camping trip had harmed him. As the search continued, it became less and less likely that theory one was likely, as Dior went missing in boots that were several sizes too large. So if he had been running away from something or floating in water, they likely would have been recovered. And there was absolutely not a trace of Dior, his clothing, shoes, or a matchbox car that he had with him. The case took an interesting turn in September of 2015, just a few months after Dior's disappearance, when a woman posted a photo to Facebook of a child she had found wandering a Motel 6 in Stanton, California. The resemblance was uncanny, and the age of the child looked about right. Many people thought the child was Dior, as the picture and then side-by-side comparisons began circulating on Facebook, giving the family hope that Dior was still alive. This obviously piqued the interest of authorities in Idaho, who immediately reached out to the Stanton Police Department, who informed them that the child had already been returned to his mother, who was a known drug addict and familiar to the police. The family accepted this quickly with several members of the extended family posting that the police had confirmed that it was not Dior, even before the police could. Many questioned if a DNA test was done, and from the sounds of the responses, it was not. There were rumors and confusion, 
including it somehow being misconstrued that the mother of the California boy said he was six years old, which in the picture he clearly is not. And the person who found the child said he could only say the word Mickey. Which from the other videos I've watched of Dior, he was further along in his speech development. So this is one of the confusing, rumor-filled twists this case takes. I'll post the side-by-side pictures on my Instagram. My handle is at UpperLeftCornerPod. One interesting comment on this topic was that when Jessica's mom saw the post, she got freaked out when she realized that the original post came from a Facebook account with the name of Maria Redrum, and that Redrum spelled backwards is murder. Nothing more to add to that, just thought it was strange, and at the end of the day, police felt confident that it was not Dior. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Blossom Boutique is a trendy online clothing boutique that specializes in clothes for women and children. Their graphic tees are on trend and quality made with relatable stains like their best-selling mom brain sweatshirt, all the way to a tie-dye dress for a night out. If you need a free Britney tee, Blossom Boutique has options, but not all of the graphic tees are for mom. You can also shop for the littles of your life. Fun graphic tees, cute sets, my favorite was the hooded tie-dye set for my daughter, and even swimwear. Go check out Blossom Boutique at BlossomBoutique.com. That's Blossom Boutique with an extra E at the end. And just for being an upper left corner listener, you can use code CRIME15 to get an extra 15% off. I'll link the site and code in the show notes for you. Happy shopping. true crime podcast recommendation that I think upper left corner listeners will love. Based on the evidence is a mother-son podcasting duo that tackles interesting cases. It's tricky to mix humor with heavy topics, but they're able to pull it off nicely. It makes listening to gruesome details easier to handle. They cover cases with a conclusion, so I love that I can make predictions along the way and in the end have an answer whether the suspect was found guilty or innocent. This mom-son duo are relationship goals. It's fun to hear their interactions and personal stories. You start to feel like you know them. You can listen to over 40 episodes of Based on the Evidence today on all major podcast platforms. And now back to the story. By January of 2016, it was made public that both parents had taken multiple polygraphs, all of which were failed. And they were officially named as suspects at that point with the grandfather and his friend being persons of interest. Lemhi County Sheriff Lynn Bowman said in 2016, quote, I believe his parents are hiding something. There is no doubt in my mind. We gave them every opportunity to explain if it was an accident of some kind, and they haven't. And went on to say he believed the case has to be a homicide and that the boy is nowhere near the area where he disappeared. Quote, They need to know that mom and dad are being less than truthful and that they can make a decision on whether to donate based on that. We've interviewed them multiple times and every time there are changes to parts of their story. The little things all change every time we speak with them. We re-interviewed them, but they weren't willing to tell us the truth. Robert and Isaac were at the scene, so we won't rule them out, but in terms of persons of interest, I think mom and dad are higher on the list. Also in January of 2016, Frank Vilt, the private investigator and retired U.S. Marshal that was hired by Jessica and Vernal, publicly released a letter that he had written to them back in September when he removed himself from the case. It reads, Dear Vernal and Jessica, 
As I previously informed you today via my text to your cellular telephone at 8.31 a.m., I am withdrawing from the investigation because of circumstances beyond my control, including but not limited to a breach of trust on your part concerning your refusal to allow me to make this case national. I am perplexed as to why you did not want me to advertise the $20,000 reward. I was willing to put up personal funds in the hopes that the public would provide information leading to the whereabouts of your son. When I agreed to assist you, I informed you that I would work for my out-of-pocket expenses. I was willing to forego my normal hourly fee. My stipulation was that both of you would be absolutely truthful. I told both of you that if I felt that you were not telling me the truth, stalling me, or otherwise misleading me, that I would withdraw from the investigation. In my professional opinion, both of you lied and misrepresented the true facts that could solve the mystery of your missing son. There are other aspects of this case that I cannot go into at this time, but simply put, I believe that the searches will all be non-productive. The searches are only used by you to cover a possible crime that one or both of you committed. My suggestion is that you fully cooperate with the Lemhi County Sheriff and tell the truth. I do not appreciate the fact that one or both of you are spreading rumors that you have paid me. I have not received reimbursement to cover my expenses. I also feel that you are exploiting the public for financial gain. How can you live with yourselves? Sooner or later, the truth will come out. I have enclosed a copy of my expenses and I expect to be reimbursed. I am a professional and I take my work seriously, but I do not like clients that do not cooperate by giving me false and misleading information. Sincerely, Frank G. Vilt Sr. So that is a lot to unpack. He not only accuses the parents of lying, he insinuates that they have something to do with their child's murder and that they are gaining financially from their missing child. The couple at this point hired another private investigator, Philip Klein from Texas. It was also revealed that the parents had broken off their engagement very shortly after the disappearance and had been evicted from their apartment for failure to make payments. Philip Klein, the new private investigator, was given access to the apartment and storage unit on the property by the landlord, where he recovered the missing camouflage jacket and several toy cars that both parents had claimed were with Dior at the time of his disappearance. In addition, there was a credit card located that was used by a family friend that was used to make purchases unknown to investigators and testimony. They also located an insurance tracking device with its instructions left behind in the apartment, which from what I understand is one of those safe driver tracking boxes, but I could be wrong. Cadaver dogs were brought in and hit in five locations, including a site located just three-fourths of a mile from the campground in 2016. But no other evidence of Dior has been found at that location, and it is speculated that the dogs may have hit at a location that a separate family had spread cremains of a loved one around that time. Philip Klein, after conducting a thorough investigation himself, stated that his investigators ruled out an animal attack and a kidnapping scenario, and he quit the case as well, after a lawsuit was brought against him by Vernal. In his statement while removing himself from the case, Klein said, quote, We have said one thing all along in this case. The evidence will lead us to the truth, and we want to assure you, the public, that we are getting there. Klein would ultimately have three lawsuits filed against him by the parents of Dior. The lawsuits were based on allegations that Klein was negligent in his conversations with the media including defamatory allegations against the parents, which, in their opinion, hindered the investigation. 
Klein alleged that the search was, quote, a sickening example of deflection of an event that, in our opinion, was most probably an accident and cover-up. Further, he claimed that the investigators working for his firm were able to form an opinion of how Dior died, but was not able to uncover the why his death occurred. Although, at one point, Jessica told the media that she thought Bernal was capable of harming their child. Klein counters that he believes Jessica was just as capable of committing the horrendous crime. The parents were upset with many aspects of the investigation. In April of 2019, a new private investigator became involved in the search. And also in 2019, HLN's Real Life Nightmare series re-examined the case and aired unseen footage. And also, a film called Missing 411 featured the case and had discussions with key members involved. In March of 2020, it was confirmed that a small bone found at the Timber Creek campground did not belong to Dior. The bone had been sent in June of 2019 to the FBI office in Quantico, Virginia. And although preliminary tests could not rule it out as being human, no human DNA was found and it was likely the remains of an animal. Also in June of 2019, Robert Walton passed away at the age of 80. He and Isaac remained persons of interest in the case, but were never named suspects. This is pure speculation on my part, but I do wonder if Robert had some form of dementia. In all of his statements, he does seem legitimately confused. In November of 2020, the lawsuit filed by Vernal Coons against Klein, his PI firm, and the insurance company who covers them was discharged. The lawsuit had been filed three times with the court finding there was no wrongdoing by Klein's investigative team and Klein, along with his insurance company. Klein, along with his insurance company, immediately filed court papers to recover the cost to fight the three lawsuits, which totaled over $150,000. Hearings were held to review Vernal's financial status, and it was determined that he and his father's estate were uncollectible, and the many years and attorney fees it would take to collect from Vernal would likely be more than the money they would receive, and Klein and the insurance company made the decision to end the litigation to collect and an agreement was signed that Vernal would not pursue any further legal action against them. Philip Klein is an interesting man himself. I don't have a good read on him, but he is a giant part of the podcast Tom Brown's Body, which I highly recommend. It's hosted by one of my favorite true crime journalists, Skip Hollinsworth, and it's about a high school boy who goes missing in a tiny Texas town, and Philip Klein is hired by the family and clashes with the local sheriff. He comes off quite arrogant, but he also makes some excellent points, so I just don't know how to read him or what his involvement in this case means. However, he does seem to be on the same page as the local authorities on this case, as well as the other private investigators who have worked on it. There is a website called justiceforbabydior.com that has tons of information on this case, although it's not made clear who is running the site, as the About Me just lists information about Dior. But there is a GoFundMe to pay to bring Klein back into the investigation, so he may have a hand with it. And there is a report that an unnamed family member has rehired Klein to investigate against the will of Jessica and Vernal. But I found some interesting facts on the Justice for Baby Dior site that they have listed, including the fact that Jessica has given two completely different outfit descriptions from the day of the disappearance. One was a pajama shirt with an airplane on it, and the other was a white t-shirt under a camo jacket. Jessica herself also wore two different shirts on the day he went missing. 
The parents also claimed that they didn't take any pictures of Dior on the camping trip, which was extremely out of character for Jessica, who was known to take lots of pictures and share them via text and social media. And later, Jessica claims that a selfie of her with Dior in their pickup was taken in town that day, though her mother is said to have stated that the photo of them had been taken prior to the trip. I'll post this picture as well on my Instagram at Upper Left Corner Pod. Another image I will be posting are all the ways the parents' official and written statements of events vary between their own statements and each other's. A few of these contradictions include what time they woke up that day, when the camping trip had been planned, who made breakfast that morning, and when the camp was set up. The first claim was that they were setting up camp just before going fishing, but the other is that the camp had been set up the night before when they arrived. This site also posts screenshots of Facebook posts, news articles, and comments on articles, which I definitely take with a grain of salt, but one thing that I kept seeing claimed over and over again was that Isaac was a sex offender. The first few weeks after Dior went missing, this was a rampant rumor, and although he is in fact not a sex offender, the sheriff's office did confirm that he does have a criminal history, including a charge in 2006 of felony rape but that charge was later amended down to misdemeanor domestic battery. One thing I did not realize when I had heard that Isaac was a friend of Jessica's grandfather, I figured that, well, he was old. But he was about 35 at the time of the camping trip, so that is kind of a strange friendship. And to go camping with people you don't know, I don't know how to describe this group other than strange. It was also hard in my research to decipher the facts, as very reputable journalists and newspapers reported different timelines, and that just comes down to how messy and inaccurate the timeline is due to the differences in all four of the stories that the involved adults told. This case has been muddied by all of this, and I don't know if that was intentional or not. And add on top of that social media rumors and little bits of information released by the various private investigators involved. To this day, no trace of Dior has ever been discovered. Many dedicated members of law enforcement and family members of Dior continue to search for answers. And both Jessica and Vernal have remarried to other people and moved out of state. And that is the case of Dior Coons. This week's PNW wine that I paired with my true crime is the Elephant 7 Winery Yellowbird Vineyard Syrah. This Syrah has aromas of spring flowers, orange peel, and menthol. A core of crushed granite and iron with lots of briary herbs, roasted meats, and black and blue fruits. Soft, dusty tannins couple with a juice-expressive finish. My pairing recommendation would be a good barbecue cheeseburger. Cheers and thanks for listening. Upper Left Corner, a PNW true crime podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star rating and review and share it with a friend. 
All of the sources for this episode are listed in the show notes and at upperleftpodcast.com. While you are there, check out the Support Victim Causes tab to find the way you can help the victim's families or take a peek at my merch. You can follow me on Instagram at upperleftcornerpod. If you have a case suggestion or a PNW wine recommendation, please email me at upperleftpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.